Vox Quick Hits. The term Asian American encompasses an extremely diverse set of people. It covers more than 50 ethnic groups who speak more than 100 different languages. Which is why talking about Asian Americans as a monolith is pretty impossible. The Indian American experience is quite different from, say, the Burmese American experience. Vox's Lizzo recently dug into the term Asian American and both its promise and its pitfalls. What has served to help Asian people build political power has also left many feeling marginalized and even erased. What we mean when we say Asian American and what the people who fall in that category feel is complicated. So kind of to back up a little bit here, when did the term Asian American first become popular? Where does it come from? It first became a thing in the 1960s, and it was something that was effectively invented by activists at UC Berkeley who wanted to create this umbrella term so that Asian people of different ethnic descents would be able to come together and have strength in numbers. So before you had the idea of Asian American, you had Chinese Americans, Japanese Americans, Filipino Americans, all identifying under their respective ethnic groups and participating in protests in that way. Um, But because each of um, their units were smaller, they didn't have as much power. Asian American was this idea of bringing everyone together so that you could have a larger political impact. And it was ultimately something that was very effective in collaboration with other movements at Berkeley, including Latino students, Black students, all these groups came together to fight for what would become an ethnic studies department at the college. And that's how Asian American was born and became a term that kind of took off in popularity since then. So this basically came from a push to get a department at Berkeley at a school. That's basically where it all started. And it picked up momentum. It didn't take off, I think, since then immediately. But as we've seen more activism around causes that relate to people of different ethnic descents, Asian American has really become a term that people use themselves. I think the other way to look at it, too, was it's a way that people wanted to define their own identity versus being defined by someone else. So before you had Asian American, the most common sweeping term that was used to talk about people who immigrated from Asian countries was the term Oriental, which was a derogatory term. It was a Eurocentric term, and it was an idea that was basically used to exoticize people who were Asian. And so Asian American is the way to be like, I'm going to define my identity myself versus having someone else use, you know, a negative term for me or try to have a different type of label. Mm-hmm. But Nowadays, I don't hear so much Asian American, but you hear Asian American and Pacific Islander, right? The AAPI. How did that get introduced? So that was something that was heavily influenced both by academics and the government. AAPI, as kind of this larger group, was first used in the census in 1990. And at that point, was already something that a lot of people were talking about among like various college departments because of a shared history of colonization among Asian countries and Pacific Islanders, and as well as I think there's a sense of um, Native Hawaiians are a big group among Pacific Islanders, and there are quite a lot of Asian Americans who live in Hawaii. So that shared context was another influence, I think, that led the two being grouped together. 
There is tension, though, in that label because there are a lot of questions about exactly how much commonality there is in terms of what people want. For example, many Pacific Islanders identify as Indigenous and as people who were actually colonized by the U.S. and not as immigrants to the U.S., which is something that Asian Americans might consider themselves to be. And they're all kind of lumped together in government data, right? Or how does that break down at at a data level? Right. That's a huge problem at a data level because it means if specific groups have potential issues, they get hidden in this larger data set. So in 1997, the census and OMB actually decided to break out Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders as their own group to try to solve this issue. Basically, a group of Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islander students had said, look, because we are categorized with Asian Americans, it seems like we're overrepresented at institutions of higher education when that really isn't the reality. And so they pushed the government to try to break that out, which they did. But because this idea of API exists and has gotten traction, you still see a lot of places, including state governments, not breaking out that data. And you still see this lumping together in other casual contexts, like things like API Heritage Month or um, the group Stop API Hate. And in all of those contexts, the big ask from Pacific Islanders is to say, When you use that term, make sure you are actually talking about the real problems that Pacific Islanders face, and you're not just using them in name as this larger category. And this is something that you got into in a story you wrote recently for Vox, where on the one hand, Asian American or AAPI, those terms give visibility to certain groups, but they also kind of perform a sort of erasure because all these diverse groups get lost How does that happen? I I think when you think about Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders as this larger unit, still a very small percentage of the U.S. population, so about 6%. So when you think about a group that wants to have influence and where the origins of this term came from, that's still extremely relevant. Like you still want to band together because that's what makes you a more powerful social movement. But at the same time, if you are treating all Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders the same way in both data and in how we treat policy, for example, you're going to not be able to see what certain groups need. Asian Americans compared to other racial groups have the largest income gap of any group. So Indian Americans, for example, their medium income is $100,000, whereas Burmese Americans' medium income is $36,000. And that's a huge gap. And it's not something you would see if you were talking about you know, Asian Americans broadly writ large. And that same thing applies to education, applies to access to health insurance, poverty rates. And so a lot is being masked. And that means that people within the Asian American category are not getting the help they need from the government or from other resources because of how we talk about members of this group. So how do you fix that? I mean, is this a data question? Like, how do we really start to understand what's going on in these communities and therefore, I guess, be able to address these issues? It's a huge data question. There's this movement called data disaggregation, which I think sounds way more complicated than it actually is. The the idea is basically just you would break out data, both reflecting Asian Americans as a larger group, as well as each of these individual ethnic groups. And by doing that, you'd be able to see, you know, who 
needs more help for COVID vaccines, for example, or, you know, who isn't actually being accepted to college at the same rates. And that's been a push that's been ongoing and something that activists have been calling for for many years. The other aspect of that is, I think, just that people within the Asian American community need to be willing to fight for others that identify as Asian who may be less privileged or um, may have different needs than they do, and being willing to stand up for those people the same way that they would stand up for someone that might share their own experiences. So obviously, right now, we are sort of in the midst of this broader conversation about discrimination against Asian Americans, about hate crimes against Asian Americans. And I guess I'm curious how that's played into what this sort of solidarity might look like. It's definitely spurred a lot of conversation about people being able to come together across ethnic groups to fight for a common cause. I think it has also prompted questions about, you know, there's a ton of money, for example, that people have been donating to various organizations that are tracking hate incidents or helping different communities. And there's a question of, are those resources going to get to the most vulnerable of these communities that need it the most? Um, Because of how broad the Asian American umbrella is, too, I think there's a question of when we talk about stop Asian hate, are we also going to be in solidarity with groups that people may not typically think are Asian, even though they are Asian? You know, um, I think South Asian people for a long time have felt like this conversation has centered people who are East Asian because that's what popular media considers to be Asian. So being able to be like, We want to have solidarity and we want to stop violence against anyone that identifies as Asian or considers themselves Asian, not just a certain type of Asian person. Well, thanks for coming on and talking about this. Thank you for having me. Lee Zhou is a reporter at Vox, and you can find her on Twitter at Lee S. Zhou. I'm Emily Stewart, and this is Tell Me More. Our producer is Sophie Lalonde. You can find more stories from Vox in the Vox Quick Hits feed wherever you get your podcasts.